0: This this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Starting pitching has been pretty solid the entire season. And the hitting is starting to come around with Anthony Rizzo back. And he had a big home run today. Glaber Torres playing his best baseball of the season. He had a home run today. Josh Donaldson has started to hit the ball. You hope and to a certain degree assume that Giancarlo Stanton is going to get right. He was an all-star the first half of the season for a reason. Harrison Bader has added a huge jolt. Kiner Falefa is doing what he's done all year long. And then, of course, I haven't mentioned Aaron Judge. So the offense is going to be sound, if not better than that. Starting pitching is solid. The bullpen... And today, this is the list of relievers that Aaron Boone used. Herman gave up three runs on back-to-back homers in the second inning. Other than that, pitched well. herman has been good, and he's actually going to be in the bullpen in the playoffs for the Yankees. But here are the relievers that Boone went to today. Zach Britton making his first appearance of the season. Lou Trevino, Lucas Littke, Clark Schmidt, and Scott Efros. You know, you look at that list of names, and... I'm smiling when I say this because it is in jest, but you're wondering if Aaron Boone wanted to give Aaron Judge one more at bat in the bottom of the ninth inning. But the fact is, that's who he has at his disposal right now. You know, who the question or the answer to the question, who is the Yankees' most reliable relief pitcher? It changes by the day. You know, a week ago, I would have said it was Trevino, but then he had a bad outing this week. Obviously Clay Holmes was the all-star in the first half of the season, but he has not been good in the second half. Um Clark Schmidt has been good at times. He had an awful outing the other night. Right now, my answer to the question who is the most reliable Yankee believer? It's Jonathan Lewisaga. Right now, but then that could change. Everybody's just one bad outing away. But that's kind of illustrates who Boone has to use in the bullpen in the postseason. Britton, Trevino, Littke, Schmidt, Efros. Yeah, Luizaga didn't pitch today. Holmes didn't pitch today. It was interesting that he went to Efros to close out the game as he picks up his third save of the season instead of Clay Holmes. But there is no closer right now. There is no closer. Wandy Peralta, that's probably my answer, but he's on the injured list right now. They expect him back the final week of the regular season, uh, that makeup series against the Texas Rangers. All right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you. Got a couple more hours here until 7 p.m. on 98.7. And let's go to Eddie in Brooklyn. Eddie, how you doing? Doing. I'm going to tell him I'm on the right now. Yo, he's he on ESPN right How there. you doing? Listen, I, I, have, I have, I have, I have uh, scenario Aaron Wait, Judge. Wait, y'all leaving out there tonight? I want to talk about Aaron Judge. All I'll right, Judge. Tell, tell, tell your buddy to keep it down. I, I want to hear you, Eddie. Keep it, down, keep it down, for a minute, man. Listen, um, Aaron Judge is gonna break the American League record home run. And wouldn't it be great? He go be a match and get a shot at the National League home run at Barry Bonds' home. But he's not gonna be a Yankee. The Yankees disrespected him by not giving him that money. They should have gave him that money. That's what I want to talk about. I, Well, I mean, you say, wouldn't it be great? That would be great for Mets fans. Yes, if he did that. Um, And thanks for the call, Eddie. I don't think the Yankees disrespected him. At the time, I thought it was a fair offer. Look, if Judge got hurt this year and played 110 games and hit 28 home runs and drove in 90 runs and was, you know, who he's been most of his career really productive when he's healthy, but not always healthy. Then the Yankees would have circled back, offered him that money again. And then you go from there. But Judge wanted more. And he has had, I, I you know, there's got to be a list somewhere. Somebody at some point has had to have compiled a list of the greatest examples in history of somebody betting on themselves. Because if this isn't at or near the top of this that list, I don't know what is. I thought the Yankees' offer was more than fair. I wouldn't say more than fair. I thought the Yankees' offer was fair. I don't think it was a disrespectful offer. It was $30 million a year for seven years. He's 30 years old now. You don't want to pay a 38-year-old more than $30 million a year, especially one who had a history of injuries in his 20s. Now, he's been so good this year. He's been so good this year. That he's blown the market away. You have to look past what those injuries concerns were before. You now have to pay him into his 40s if you want him. Or you can swallow really, 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 really hard and let him go to another team. But the Yankees' contract is going to have to double. I'm telling you, it's going to have to be $500 million. Somebody's going to pay him $500 million. He is so far and away the best player in baseball. And I don't want to hear Otani. What Otani's doing is historic. It's incredibly impressive. He should have won the MVP last year. But you've got to also incorporate winning baseball games. If it was that historic and that impressive... Win some baseball games, especially when you also have on your team the guy who for the last decade has been considered the best player in Major League Baseball. The Otani judge argument, you know, with all due respect to people like CC Sabathia, who I think just makes controversial statements to get his name out there, so we're reminded that he's a member of the media, but the Otani judge argument is – Very similar to the Russell Westbrook scenario in the NBA a few years ago. Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double in 2017. And it hadn't been done in like 40 or 50 years. Okay? Oscar Robertson was the only other player to average a triple-double. Nobody had ever done it. Now, for many of those years, it wasn't that big of a deal, statistically. Could Magic Johnson have done it if he knew the importance people would put on it? Possibly. So could LeBron James have done it? Scottie Pippen might have been able to do it. Michael Jordan, I don't know if he would have averaged 10 rebounds a game. But for a long time in the NBA, triple-doubles weren't looked at as they are in today's NBA. Westbrook did it in 2017. He was also in a scenario where Durant had just skittered off from Oklahoma City to join the super team in Golden State, and Westbrook won the MVP because he did something that had only been done once in NBA history. All right, But then he did it again the next year, and then he did it again like two more times after that, and he hasn't sniffed the MVP. It's going to be the same thing with Shohei Otani. Otani did something last year that we hadn't ever seen before. Go through a full season, be one of the best power hitters in the American League, and one of the best pitchers in the American League. I mean, he literally did something that you could only draw a comparison to Babe Ruth. Well, guess what? Judge is doing that too, where you draw a comparison to Babe Ruth, but it's something else, obviously. It's the 60 home runs. But Otani did it last year, He got his MVP. The people who are arguing for Otani to be the MVP again this year are basically saying that as long as he hits 20 home runs, which barring injury, I would imagine him being able to do every season, and pitches a full season and strikes out 150 batters, as long as he does that, then just give him the MVP every year because he's doing something that nobody else can do. No, he was rewarded for that last year, all right? And if Judge wasn't having the season he's having this year, then maybe Otani would have a much stronger case to be the MVP. But not when you're going up against one of the great offensive seasons in the history of the sport. I mean, think about it. This guy is on the verge. He's already got 60 home runs, and he has a chance on top of that to win the Triple Crown. That's unheard of. And then on top of that, He played center field more than half the season. He's got one of the best arms in all of baseball. He's a terrific base runner. He is a clubhouse leader. He leads his team to wins. They won their 93rd game today. Otani's record, his team's record, is 66-85. and All right, so back to the question about Judge's contract. This has blown any projections out of the water. He bet on himself, and he won. And he's going to really win in the offseason. And you know what is crazy? He could actually, what you think he's worth right now, having hit 60 home runs and with a chance to win the Triple Crown, he could elevate that even more if he is a beast in the postseason like A-Rod was in 2009 when he just went on a tear for three weeks and reminded everyone A-Rod did that year that he was the best player in baseball. All the jokes aside and the kissing the mirror and the steroids and the sunbathing in the park, A-Rod in 2009 went on one of those scorched earth tours where he reminded everybody that he was the best player in baseball. Judge hasn't had one of those in the postseason yet. You know, the Yankees haven't made a lot of long runs. 2017, he was good, but he was just a rookie, and he hasn't been like a dominant force carrying a team over the course of three weeks in a playoffs yet. If he does that this year on top of what he is doing in the regular season, it's unbelievable. It's absurd the amount of money that he could be offered this offseason. Somebody is going to pay. If the Yankees want him back, they're going to have to significantly overpay. Let's go to Alan in Uniondale. What's up, Alan? Hello. Yeah. What's going on? How you doing? Uh, not much. I, yo. Um, so, boom. You were saying who better on himself the most? I'll probably say Lamar Jackson right now, right? Because he won MVP. He's probably going to make a playoff run. So Lamar Jackson, and um, there's probably another defensive NFL player. I can't remember. But, like I can't think of the top of my head. But also, Judge. Right. Who's going to get paid? I don't want the lengthy contract. Shouldn't he just like squeeze it in five, six years and just give him like max money, like give him like 25, 35, 40 million dollars a year? Just that's like how it should go. Yeah, but Judge wants, Allen, Judge wants, first of all, don't even, the, the number has to have a four in front of it, right? Go right past 25, go right past 35. Let's start at 40. He wants that for 10 years. You know, Max Scherzer makes 43 million, and I understand it's only for three years, but he's also 38 years old. And he's not doing what Judge is doing right now. He wants like forty five million for ten years. I hear you. That, that's 50 and like six years, like you know, like something to squeeze little like like not lengthy, that's all I'm trying to say. No, I hear you. And look look, Alan, thanks for the call. That's what the Yankees had in mind. Look, they offered him thirty million dollars, a little over thirty million dollars for seven years. And the hang up for the Yankees was always the years. You know, seven years would have taken into age thirty seven season. And then you see where you are from there. And the smart business move, or the prudent business move, would be to limit the amount of years. But because of the season Judge is having, the Yankees or any other team has lost the luxury of trying to control the amount of years. They really have, because it only takes one team. There's going to be one team, and they're going to know, they're going to cringe when they're signing the contract for 10 years and $47 million a year. They're going to be cringing as they do it, thinking that they're going to be paying a 40-year-old man with an injury history in his 20s $47 million. But you know what? They're not going to be cringing that much because they're going to be thinking about adding the best all-around position player in baseball to their lineup. For at least the next six years. And in this climate. This economic climate. In Major League Baseball. There is no. um, Ideal scenario. For a team. To get everything that it wants. Not when you're dealing. With a talent. On the level. Of Aaron Judge. He has all of the leverage. And it only takes. One owner to decide. Okay. Okay will eat the last three years of his contract, understanding that he's not going to be highly productive. If he still is, that's great. That's house money at that point. But I want him for the first seven years of this contract. So if in order to get that, I also need to pay him $47 million for years 8, 9, and 10, then I will do it. And there could be an owner in Texas that's thinking that, or San Diego, or Atlanta, or San Francisco. And the fact of the matter is there's going to be, well, I shouldn't say the fact because I don't know this as being fact, but my very strong opinion, there's going to be an owner, at least one, willing to do that, which means that, all right, so maybe the Yankees don't have to surpass that because I do strongly believe he likes being a Yankee. I think he likes being the face of the most famous franchise in the sport. I think if he does re-sign with the Yankees, The captaincy is in the near future, and I would imagine that's going to be part of the negotiations this offseason. But the Yankees, they got to get close. If somebody's offering 10 years, 480, then the Yankees have to offer 10 years, 450. Like, they're almost in a position where they have to double what their initial offer was. That's how historic this season has been. But the Yanks do win today 7-5. Judge still 60 home runs. Another chance to tie Roger Maris tomorrow night at Yankee Stadium. More of your calls. Back to some NFL chatter and plenty else here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Mets trail the A's 5-4. to four. Mets have been playing extremely well lately, uh, but DeGrom has given up two RBI doubles and a home run. The Mets, meanwhile, uh, got two runs on a Pete Alonso home run in the top of the first inning as they jumped out to a 3-0 lead. Yankees beat the Red Sox by a score of 7-5 coming from behind once again to beat Boston. They go for the four-game sweep tomorrow and a chance to sweep this homestand, two against Pittsburgh, and they have already taken the first three against the Red Sox. The magic number to clinch the American League East is now three over Toronto and two over Tampa Bay. Both of those teams still have to play today. Uh, And then, of course, Aaron Judge is still sitting on home run number 60. Monday Night Football for the Giants – as they'll take on the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys 1-1 in a somewhat unexpected win over the Cincinnati Bengals last week, playing with their backup quarterback, Cooper Rush. The biggest reason for Dallas has been their defense. And right now, the Cowboys might have the best defensive player in the NFL. Micah Parsons, in just his second season, uh, is as good as anybody in the league at getting to the quarterback. And Cincinnati's offensive line is shaky to begin with and then trying to hold off against the likes of Micah Parsons. And in week one, Cincinnati had to go up against T.J. Watt with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So it hasn't been a smooth start for them, and that's a big reason why they're 0-2. But with their backup quarterback in, the defense helped carry the day for the Cowboys last week. Evan Neal, the Giants' first-round draft pick out of Alabama, their big right tackle who will be playing his third NFL game, hasn't lost yet in the NFL very similar to when he was playing for the Crimson Tide in college, uh, he spoke at practice this week about facing Micah Parsons. It's gonna be fun, you know. That's why you always dream of, you know, playing the NFL to go against the best player. Uh, Micah's a great player. Um, he's really, he's really fast. I mean, the guy runs a four three, you know. So uh, it's gonna be exciting to go up against him. Evan Neal, uh, you hear the 4-3-40, certainly a tough challenge for him and his line mates on the Giants' offensive line, which has played very well ever since halftime of the first game against Tennessee. But Neal feels that he and his teammates are up to the challenge. I mean, regardless, I mean, he's a football player just like me. He puts his pants on one leg at a time just like me, straps up the shoulder pads one strap at a time just like me. I mean, he's a really good player, and uh, I'm excited to go against him for sure. We'll see that on Monday night. Giants and Cowboys MetLife Stadium. Uh Giants chance to go to three and zero, Something they have not done in a very, very long time. 1 800 919 3776. So go back to the phones and welcome in James from Miami Beach. James, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Good, thanks. Hey, I just wanted to say I listen to the station every day and uh nice work. You guys are awesome. But anyways, I wanted to I wanted to see what your thoughts on on totally Pollard are, because I know everybody, especially Giants fans, they're concerned about stopping Zeke, 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 even though in the past history it shows that Zeke's been you know, known to give the Giants some problems, but if the Giants were to stop Zeke, I think Pollard's going to be the one that you guys need to worry about. What do you think? Yeah, I think Pollard and Zeke are a lot closer in how you approach them than they used to be. You know, Zeke still has the potential for the explosive play, but Pollard is, you know, the pounded guy, the consistent guy, and there's not that much of a drop-off at this point in Zeke's career between he and Tony Pollard. Right, and I, I was just wanting to say, because I think, um, you know, from a Giants' perspective, I think if, that's, if you're going to stop any running back, I think that's the guy you got to stop is Pollard, because I think that's the – if you guys can stop Pollard, I think that's the key factor for the Giants to win. Well, they're you know, going right? to be – They're going to be, and thanks for the call, James, they're going to be relying on their running game a lot with those two backs, with the fact that they have a backup quarterback in Cooper Rush playing, and their wide receiver weapons are not what they have been in recent years. I think Amari Cooper's absence is a lot greater than people thought it would be. You know, the big thing about C.D. Lamb, and we've seen this in sports a lot, you know, the most... Famous example for me is Alvin Harper, who was Michael Irvin's number two for those championship years with the Cowboys. And then Harper signs the big free agent contract to be the number one wide receiver with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And all of a sudden in Tampa Bay without a strong an offensive line, And without Michael Irvin drawing so much attention from the secondary on the other side of the field, all of a sudden it's not that easy to get open. And we've seen a little bit of that from C.D. Lamb. Yeah, Lamb was awesome last year when he gets the ball in space and is able to get open. He is a very, very dynamic and talented player. But what if he doesn't get open? And again, it's a lot easier to get open if, number one, you have a strong offensive line. Dallas had that last year. It's not as strong this year. Number two, you have a quarterback who's mobile, who could allow you a little bit more time to get open, like Dallas had last year with Dak Prescott. Dak is not playing right now. And then number three, the top cornerback, any double teams were all sent to the other side of the field where Amari Cooper was, allowing C.D. Lamb to roam around a little more freely. now. Well, now he's the number one guy. And he hasn't proven to be in the class of a Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase or, dare I say, and I'm not being facetious here, a Garrett Wilson in his first two games in that role. And maybe he's not that guy. Can he be a productive NFL receiver? Yeah, absolutely. But, like, a number one carry in offense the likes of Jefferson or – Uh, Cooper Cup or Jamar Chase? Not from what I've seen so far. So for Dallas, Dallas is going to play this close to the vest, especially without Dak. And I I don't know what they're doing with him, not putting him on injured reserve. He's not playing Monday. So that's two games without him. So that means to make that move worth the while. And, you know, they're eating up a roster spot with him. To make that worthwhile, he's got to play in one of the two games, at least one of the two games after The giants game on monday night and i just i don't understand it. it seems like everything you hear that injury is going to take you know up to two months to heal but regardless if you're dallas and you're mike mccarthy and don't forget (laughs) that's that's another issue if you're dallas and you're mike mccarthy i don't think you're feeling too good about yourself but you got to play this close to the vest um you got to rely on your defense you got to rely on getting pressure on daniel jones and forcing him into mistakes I think Jones has been good the first two weeks. Jordan Renan gave him a B minus. I'd give him a B, but I've always been a little bit more of a Jones supporter than most. But still, the one thing that he has proven in the first two weeks is that he is still very much in the right or the wrong situation, capable of making a big mistake. He made the huge mistake against Tennessee, and he got bailed out with a near interception that could have been a pick six against Carolina last week. But you got to put pressure on Jones, hopefully force him into a mistake. And then on offense, you want to keep the ball out of Saquon Barkley's hands. So you're going to rely on your two veteran running backs. That's going to have to be uh, the focal point of your offensive attack, especially with Cooper Rush as your quarterback on Monday night. Now, can they execute that? I don't know. Can the Giants' offensive line keep Daniel Jones upright and give him a chance? Sure they can, and they're going to have to. And the other part of this is, well, how about the Giants defensive line? Because the Giants defense has been great. Wink Martindale uh, has had two excellent schemes so far defensively. And now you're getting back Kayvon Thibodeau. We expect him to play on Monday. You haven't had him for the first two weeks. And Aziz Ojalari, who outside of Leonard Williams, Ojalari was the best player defensively among the Giants front seven last season. He hasn't played yet. He's expected back. Now, you could be without Leonard Williams, and that's a hit. That hurts. But you take Williams out, you replace him with the combination of both Ojolari and Thibodeau, and you're going up against a Dallas offensive line that is depleted and injury-riddled. That's going to be a big factor in this game as well. Can the Giants, because look, they don't have Troy Aikman back there. They got Cooper Rush back there. Can the Giants, just like we we're saying, can Micah Parsons in the Dallas defense put enough pressure on Daniel Jones to force him into mistakes? Can the Giants and Wink Martindale and Ojolari and Thibodeau, can they put enough pressure against this weak-end Dallas offensive line and force Cooper Rush into making mistakes? Those will be a couple of the keys on Monday night. Giants have a chance to go 3-0, and and it'll be very disappointing if they don't finish Monday night with a record of 3-0. and uh, we'll talk more about this. Uh, we'll get into the Jets in the rest of week three. Your calls also at 1-800-919-3776 on this Saturday afternoon. Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. You give DeGrom a three-run lead, and then he gives a four in the bottom of the first inning. Mets trail the A's five to four. Uh, on an afternoon in Oakland, in which Degrom clearly is not Degrom, it's going to happen. It happens to everybody. Top of the fifth, Mets are batting with two outs, trailing five to four. Meanwhile, in Philadelphia, the Braves lead the Phillies six nothing in the bottom of the fourth inning. So, you know, Mets don't win this game today. We, we started the show. Uh, breathing room is a funny thing because sometimes what breathing room allows you to do, sometimes it allows you to exhale, and that's. I'm not saying that's what happened to Degrom today. I don't think the fact that the Mets had a a two-and-a-half-game lead over the Braves instead of a a one-and-a-half-game lead had an impact on his performance today. But it's human nature. You have a little bit of breathing room, you're going to exhale and take a little bit of a breath. And just like that, the Mets could wake up tomorrow morning only a a game-and-a-half in front of the Braves. And don't forget, they still have that three-game series coming up uh, at the end of the regular season. Yankees win 7 to 5. No home run for Judge. Still at number 60. Chance for 61 at home tomorrow night, Sunday night baseball against the Boston Red Sox. Nestor Cortez will pitch for the Yanks as they look for the four game sweep and look to sweep this six game homestand. All right, we spoke about the Jets and Bengals. One o'clock. Um, obviously, you can listen to that game right here on 98.7 ESPN New York tomorrow. Jets looking to do what they did last year against Cincinnati beat them at MetLife stadium, uh, looking to do what they did last week. And that's win a game jets at one and one right now. And you like the improvements you've seen across the roster. And you also like the promise and the readiness that you've seen from a lot of the young players on the roster. The big question is, and, and look, if you're a Jets fan, I don't think this is a bad problem to have. And, I, you know, we, we're running a promo on the K show where Michael K disagrees with the point I'm about to make, and that's fair. But you got to win games at a certain point in the NFL, especially when you have been in such a rut like the two teams in New York have been. You've just got to win games by any means possible. And if Flacco's got the hot hand right now, then you've got to ride him until he no longer has the hot hand. The beauty of Joe Flacco, and this is how Tom Coughlin approached the Kurt Warner thing, in 2004, when Eli Manning was a rookie, the beauty of Joe Flacco is you can pull him whenever. All right, you don't have to worry about his mental state or you know, what it would do to him psychologically if he all of a sudden loses his starting quarterback position because he wasn't the starting quarterback to begin with. This whole season for Flacco is house money. He signed with the team as the backup quarterback. Look what's happening in in Miami right now, and I know it's a small sample size, but two years ago. When Tua Tungavailoa was a rookie, they would actually, in the fourth quarter of games, take Tua out of the game and put in Ryan Fitzpatrick because they were trying to win games. And Fitzpatrick obviously was a veteran, and if you didn't like what he was giving you and you wanted to put Tua back in, you could yank Fitzpatrick at any time and go back to Tua. But they did that to Tua, a sixth overall pick in the NFL draft, the future of their franchise at that point. Now, I know it's come out since that Brian Flores didn't like Tua and you know was probably looking to mess with him in those ways. But regardless, he was the head coach. He was doing that to a young player. So if you do that to a young player who you just drafted in the first round, you could certainly do it to Joe Flacco, who's had, by all accounts, a brilliant career, not a Hall of Fame career, but a brilliant career, and is at the tail end of that. But what Joe Flacco has proven the first two weeks of the season is he can still throw the football. If you give him time to throw... He still has that strong arm, and he's not mobile. He was never mobile, but he knows where to go with the ball if you can give him time. That's the big if. Can you give him time? Because if you can, look, he threw 59 passes in week one against the Ravens. That game was not his fault. There were drops. There were turnovers. The first turnover was his fault, the interception, but after that, that was not his fault. And then what he did last week, just going out there and slinging it all over the field over the last minute and a half, that pass, that pinpoint pass to Corey Davis to start the first touchdown or to to score the first touchdown, to get the Jets within a score of that game, he can do that. So if he goes out and does it again against Cincinnati and wins the game and Zach's ready to come back, I think you push Zach another week. But here's the thing. You've got to win. All right, Because the only reason for doing this is if it leads to wins. You don't want Flacco to um, put up big stats and prove that he can still throw the ball if given time if you're losing games. The only, only, only scenario where you keep him in is if you keep winning. If you're winning with him and if you're winning because of him, then you keep riding him until that's no longer the case. Coughlin did it in 2004. With Kurt Warner and Eli Manning, you started the season with Warner. Very similar. Veteran, Super Bowl winning quarterback. At that time, it seemed like Kurt Warner was on his last legs in the league. It turned out he had uh, another life in him in Arizona where he went back to the Super Bowl and almost won another one. But at that point, it looked like he was on his last legs. Started off the season really well. 5-2. and two. It became 5-4. And, and that's when Coughlin decided to pull the plug. Eli came in at 5-4. and four. The season was shot, but look what happened after. It's not a bad problem to have if you're the Jets. Flacco's not going to be the quarterback for all 17 games. And if he is the quarterback for all 17 games, that means you went 10-7 and and went to the playoffs. And that's not a bad thing. Because it's not like Zach Wilson's a guarantee. right? It's not like you've got... Who was the last guarantee to come into the NFL? Burrow? It's not like you got Joe Burrow sitting there and you're like, oh, we got to get this guy back in. It's a guarantee. No, no, no. You still don't know that Wilson's the future of your franchise. So you can't throw away wins in this league to put a guy on the field who may be the future of your franchise. You can't do that. You know, if the same thing happened in San Diego now with Herbert, if this same thing happened in Cincinnati now with Burrow, and they were the injured player, and the backup quarterback came in and played really well, as soon as the starter's ready to go, he's back in there because those guys are proven commodities. Zach is not a proven commodity. He'll get his time, but you can't, if you're Joe Douglas, if you're Robert Sala, I mean, look at how much fire Robert Sala was under last week with the receipts and the losing is cool, and what has he accomplished in this town? And then he goes out and wins a game like that. How good did that feel? You think Salah's going to throw away an opportunity to feel like that again and to have that locker room feel that way again? So it's a good problem to have. But I just have a bad feeling about this game with the Jets because I have a hard time thinking that the Bengals, with that talent, with that quarterback, and with the season they had last year, are going to start 0-3. Especially especially when you consider they very well could be 2-0. Just like the Giants could be 0-2, the Bengals could be 2-0. They should be at minimum 1-1 if they didn't get an extra point blocked against Pittsburgh in Week 1. But then they should have won the Dallas game last week. I think they lost focus. They didn't protect their quarterback. And then they figured it out too late. They had the drive to tie the game. And then they let Dallas get into field goal range for the game-winning kick. They very well could be 2-0. I have a hard time thinking... After Sunday at MetLife Stadium, they're going to be 0-3. All right, we'll continue to go around the NFL and more of your calls at 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Pat O'Keefe back with you here on 98.7 after the Yanks beat the Red Sox today 7-5. So the Yanks... Six straight wins now, going back to Sunday afternoon in Milwaukee. Mets are now trailing the A's six to four in the top of the sixth inning. Tough outing this afternoon for Jacob Degrom; he lasted only four and gave up five runs. Trevor Williams uh, came on and gave up a run in relief in the fifth inning. So the Mets uh, in danger of dropping a game this afternoon to the Atlanta Braves, who are leading six nothing in Philadelphia over the Phillies. NFL Week 3, we talked about the uh, Cover 5 promotion there. NFL Week 3, you can hear that here on 98.7 with the Jets and the Bengals. Kickoff 1 o'clock tomorrow from MetLife Stadium. Uh, other action, Raiders and Titans in Nashville, 1 o'clock game. Both teams 0-2, and, 2, and if, if you bet that, at the beginning of the season, you would have gotten probably some pretty long odds for both of those teams to be 0-2. Coming at it from two different places, though, to be honest, the Titans should be 1-1 and if Bullock hit the field goal or if Tennessee managed that final drive against the Giants better, or if they protected a 13-point lead on their home field, but none of that happened. The Giants beat them, and then they just ran into a Buffalo team last week on Monday night that's playing so well right now that I don't see anybody beating them for a while, although they will have an interesting game this week against uh, Miami. Raiders, meanwhile, could be 2-0. They played well the first week against um, the Chargers, and then last week blowing the huge lead against Arizona. I mean, that was an Arizona team that, Looked so awful in the playoffs last year. They had a tumultuous offseason. Kyler Murray and his contract extension got messy. The fact that it carried out for as long as it did. And then when it leaked out that Arizona wanted to put a clause in it, requiring him to do a certain amount of work in his playbook, homework in his playbook, and then they took it out because people found out about it. and The whole thing was just messy. And, DeAndre Hopkins, the six-game suspension to begin the season, and Murray is not the same player without DeAndre Hopkins. They lose week one. They fall behind week two, and you're starting to think, wow, is Cliff Kingsbury going to survive the season? Will he be the first NFL head coach fired? Well, then they storm all the way back. Murray shows why he was an MVP candidate at least the first six weeks of last season and they stun the Raiders. So the Raiders could be 2-0. They're 0-2. They're at Tennessee. The Titans don't look the same. I think Ryan Tannehill is in his last days as their starting quarterback. Malik Willis is waiting in the wings, the third-round pick out of Liberty, who a lot of people thought could have been a first-round pick in this year's draft, and he looked pretty okay in the preseason. Um, Derrick Henry, you see it time and time again, and this is why – teams don't draft running backs where Dave Gettleman picks Saquon Barkley. Now, I know this is not the week to disparage the Saquon Barkley pick, but from a, a philosophical perspective, the reason why teams don't invest that much money or that high a draft pick in a running back is because of what's happening to Derrick Henry right now. Last three seasons, he was as dominant a football player as there was in the NFL, carried that team to an AFC championship game, uh, helped carry that team to a number one seed in the AFC last season. And now he just all that wear and tear and all of those carries and all of those hits take a toll. He doesn't look like the same player. The Titans don't look like the same team. Somebody there is going to be 0-3. I think it's going to be the Tennessee Titans. Chiefs and Colts. Colts have looked so bad They had the bad week one where they were lucky to squeeze out a tie against the Houston Texans. Uh, And then last week getting blown out by Jacksonville, an improved Jacksonville team. The last team they need to face right now is Kansas City. And I know the Colts are at home, and I hear people saying this is a must-win game. You can't call this a must-win game. You can't call a game against Kansas City or Buffalo a must-win game because you're not going to win that game. The Colts aren't going to win this game. I can't believe the line is only five and a half. Kansas City is only giving five and a half points to the Colts. The Chiefs have looked great. Now the Chiefs have been known. Mahomes and that offense have been known to, you know, lose focus once in a while. And this is a spot where that could happen. You know, I compare it to Golden State in basketball. You know, there's games where Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, this is when they were really clicking before all the injuries, and Draymond Green, they would be so dominant that they would just kind of like lose concentration for a quarter, they'd turn the ball over like six or seven times in a quarter, and then they'd figure that out. The Chiefs do that from time to time. The only way I see the Colts winning this game on Sunday is if the Chiefs come out and give you one of those efforts in Indianapolis. But other than that, I expect the Chiefs to move to 3-0. and I mean, the Chiefs and the Bills have separated themselves in the AFC right now. They seem to be on a collision course. It's going to be fun when they meet during the regular season. Uh, it's going to be fun when they hopefully meet during the postseason. It certainly was fun when they met in the playoffs last year.
1: This, this
0: is the Pat O'Keefe Show.